Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the God and My Girlfriends podcast. I'm your host, Marsha Ramirez, and I have some amazing special guests this season, and we're going to dive into some topics that will help us all learn how to nurture our spiritual lives, nurture our friendships, and nurture ourselves. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. Marsha here. Welcome to the season finale of season two of the God of My Girlfriends podcast. This has been such a great season. I've had some awesome guests. I've learned so much, and I hope you guys have too. Now, I always try to start and end every season with a real-life friend of mine, and I always like to get at least one guy friend on uh on the podcast each season. So today's guest covers both of those aspects. He is a real life friend to me, a dear, dear friend, and a guy friend. So our guest today is the wonderful Rob Harris. Rob and his wife, Laura, are dear friends of mine and Mike's, my husband's. And you'll see in the conversation that we have done a lot of life together. So our conversation is a little longer than usual today, but trust me, it's worth it. I really think you'll enjoy it. Um, Rob and I talk about music and we talk about his experience in ministry, both good and bad. Uh, He has an amazing story and the story that brings him to where he is today is just it's such this it's just a beautiful timeline and you can see how God's goodness takes a lot of our deepest hurts and turns them into something beautiful he really does and you'll see that in his story and we also talk about friendships we talk about how um, guys approach friendship may be a little different than women but it's all it's all good Um, Rob doesn't even know this, but I considered him to be my pastor when I wasn't in church for several years. There were, there was about seven years where I did not go to church at all. And during that time, we were traveling a lot with Rob and Laura doing concerts. And some of the conversations we would have on those long trips really uh, made such an impact on me. He's just such a great lover of the Lord. And shows the fruits of the Spirit in all he does. And that means a lot to me. So anyway, you're going to love this conversation. But let me tell you just a little bit about Rob. Um, He is a Nashville-based singer-songwriter, and he's had songs of his recorded by The Lovelocks, Ivan Parker, Karen Peck, Marsha Ramirez, oh, that's me, Tanya Rose, and a host of other indie artists. He got his first gold album in 2017, for the song Greasy John Deere Cap, yes, it's a country song, <laughs> recorded by Canadian country artist Tim Hicks. Uh, as an artist himself, he performs concerts all throughout the U.S. in different venues and house concerts, which we're going to talk about in our conversation. And he has opened shows for Grammy Award-winning and Dove Award-winning artists, He also is a frequent performer, Nashville area venues, restaurants, clubs, uh, places like the world famous Bluebird Cafe. You'll even see him now and then performing at the Nashville International Airport. If anyone has flown through Nashville, you'll you'll know they always have some sort of uh, performers just scattered through the airport, which I think is so cool and makes our little 
airport very unique. Rob is also an ordained pastor. He's had over 30 years of experience leading worship at churches and events all over the country. And he's currently working on a brand new album, which you're going to hear all about too. One more thing about Rob. He's the Nashville Batman. Yes, Batman. Look it up. I forgot to ask him about that in our interview. But very interesting little side note about Rob. If you go to any like Boo at the Zoo or the Franklin Boo Fest or anyway, let me just say if you're in Nashville and you run into Batman, you might say, hi, Rob, when you walk by. <laughs> listen, one more thing. Make sure you listen to my post interview message today. After the conversation, keep listening. It's a really important one. That's it. We're going to get to it. Here is my conversation with the wonderful Rob Harris. Hi, Rob Harris. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Marcia Ramirez? I'm I'm so good, and I'm so happy to see your face. I don't see it nearly as often as I would like. We used to see each other a little bit more often before the pandemic hit because we were... Right out traveling together, doing house concerts together, you and your amazing wife, Laura, she would come along when she could. And we had a lot of laughs, uh, a lot of tears, a lot of life together. Those long drives, we We had a blast. We had so much fun. I miss them. We'll talk about, we'll talk more about house concerts in a minute, but okay. Because they're coming back. They are coming back. And uh, yes, First of all, I, I'm so grateful that you are coming into our little God and my girlfriend space as one of my very favorite and trusted guy friends. And guy friends are important. And you and Laura have supported me and this ministry from day one, too. Y'all have just been so encouraging to me with the ministry, with the podcast, with everything. And um, Mike and I just love you. Some of our closest well, friends. Same here. We love you guys too. And Laura and I are so proud of you to have jumped into this endeavor a couple of seasons ago now, having not done it before and you've just figured it out and now you're just excelling at it. And Aww. I am, I'm absolutely honored to be one of your few guy friends uh, to be <laughs> a, a part of this. I listened to the podcast with Mark Smeeby and uh, he set a pretty high bar for guy guests. So I'll I'll do my best. (laughs) You're great. Mark's awesome. He is. Well, and the other thing Mm. is I I do always like, I want to have at least one guy on each season because we can learn from our guy friends. And, and I also like to start and end with real friends of mine. And so you, you cut, thank you. You got both of those covered for me. So thank you, my friend. My pleasure. And by the way, I've listened to a lot of your podcast. And I know it's that I'm not the primary target for what you're doing, but I benefit from them, from them too. So uh, you're just doing a great job. Thank you, Rob. Keep going. Oh man. See, that's why I love you so much. You're awesome. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny because when you're interviewing friends, it's a whole different thing. And we talk all the time, right? But you were one of the guests that I was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? What's going to be our main topic today? Because we could talk about so many different subjects. And I also was trying to come up with questions. I told you earlier, like I wanted to come up with questions that I didn't know about you. Okay. (laughs) And that was hard. That was tricky, but we'll (laughs) see. We're going to see what we have for you today. But before we get into the interview, 
I do want to say real quick, I know that you and Laura have gone through a lot of really major life changes lately. Um, just how long has it been since your daughter, Amanda got married and moved to Germany? What was that? Two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, two and a half. See 2020 feels like it just, that year just like got set aside. So everything right. feels like almost like it doesn't count. It's yeah. Just, that, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it feels like last year she moved, but it's been two and a half years. Yeah. That's crazy. I know that was huge. And then we'll talk about it in a minute. You've been going through a major job shift. You've been sort of preparing for this for a while and right. now are, are in the thick of that. And then the biggest thing I know you've been through a deep family loss. Laura lost her father here recently, and you've right. been going through all of that. I, of course, Laura and I talk and I got to have a really sweet chat with her on the phone just the other day and catch up. She told me about that. Thank you for doing that. Well, she, she's on my heart because, you know, Laura and I have so much in common with that. We're both only children. We're both daddy's girls. We were both taking right. care of our dad. So I understand her journey. Everyone's path is a little different, but I do right. understand. And when I was going through it, Mike was my rock. And I know you, I watched you be the same thing for her. And she told me that, you know, it's hard though, because you and Mike are grieving too. You know, y'all were grieving too. You love Vince. Mike loved my dad, you know, and everyone sort of rallies around, you know, the child, but I know it's right. been hard for you. So I just want to start <clears throat> off by just saying, man, you know, obviously you guys have been in our prayers, but how, how are you, how are you doing with all everything right now? You doing okay? We're getting there. Uh, you, you're well acquainted with this journey. I know you've, you've walked that same path. And like you said, everybody's journey is a little different, but, mm -hmm. um, I think the big pieces of the things we had to do, just the practical things that you have to do after a loved one passes away. I, th I think most of those are taken care of now and we can start to process the, the grieving part of it. Although we've been grieving all along the way, but now it's, it's like we can kind of take a collective breath and, and just try to start to move forward. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Laura, as an only child, a lot of, the details fell on her shoulders and I've tried to help her as much as I can, but there are some things that only she can do as the uh, executrix of the will and those kind of things. Um, exactly. So we've, you know, we've, we had a memorial service for him here. Let me just quickly say uh, what an awesome guy he was. His name was Vince D'Addario mm. and he was, he was a director and an associate director with ABC sports for more than 40 years, I believe. And over the course of his career, he earned 15 Emmys for things he had covered in the sports world, like World Series and Super Bowls and Special Olympics and uh, Monday Night Football and the Tour de France and Indy 500. He covered some of the biggest sporting events in the world. And that was, yeah. that was his work for 40 years. So he was an amazing guy. Oh, wow. And after we had our memorial here in Tennessee, we went to New York, which we just did last week. And held a memorial for a lot of his former co-workers from ABC and different places. And that was really sweet uh, just to see how much he was loved and respected by his co-workers. And, mm. you know, many of them called uh, him their mentor and that he was directly responsible for them having the career they had. So it was just a, a really beautiful way to honor him with his co-workers there. And um, so I just wanted to Tell everybody what a what a great guy he was. He received a lifetime achievement award 
from the Directors Guild in Hollywood a few years back oh, that's uh, for fantastic. all of his work. And his his speech is on YouTube. People could look it up if you just go to YouTube and look for Vince DiDario and uh, Directors Guild and it'll come up. But he was an amazing guy. <clears throat> so we're doing the best we can, trying to get back to a, a new normal. I, I only was around Vince a few times. He would come to the Bluebird when you and I would play there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very unassuming. You would never know, you know, all no. that he had done and accomplished and just the sweetest man. And yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's a hard, a hard time, but um, you know, one of the things that Mike and I love about being y'all's friends is being able to take a really close seat to your lives and watch how you handle transitions like this. And you always handle them with your faith and your family and you just handle them so beautifully and it's inspiring for us well, as your friends. So that's thank so you kind of that. you to say, I don't, I don't always, we don't always feel like we do, but it's really kind of you to say that. Um, yeah. And thanks for asking how I'm doing. Um, you know, I had the privilege of speaking at his funeral and you were there. Um, I know Mike couldn't be, you guys have supported us so much through this mm -hmm. journey and other other chapters of our life, but um, when when you have the responsibility and, and the privilege of doing something like that, I mean, I, I loved Vince like he was my dad. We had yes. a great relationship, but um, to you know to be involved at that level in his service, I almost have to disassociate myself from it in the moment and just get through because you spend days preparing for what you're going to say at his service and try to honor him as as well as you know how, and then you still want to grieve too, but I just had to, you have to kind of put it on hold temporarily to mm -hmm. get through that. Yeah. And then after that, my grief process could begin. So, but we're, I'm doing, I'm doing better, you know, good days and bad days. Um, hopefully you get to the point where there's more good than bad. I, I'm not sure something like that is, is anything you ever fully get over. You just learn to deal with it and walk with it the rest of your life. And it does get better, but I'm not sure it ever completely goes away. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree. And you've lost your parents. I've lost both of my right. parents and it's you, you learn to live with this new normal, you know? Right. And, um, right. I, I told Laura on the phone the other day, I mean, I still have moments of grief that are so strong that they bring tears to my eyes, but they're fewer, those, those yeah. deep, those deep waves of grief are not as often and they're not quite as deep, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, I still we, have those too. My dad's been gone 28 years and mom's been gone maybe 11 or 12 years. And I still will have moments like that. Yeah. We'll never stop missing them. Right. right. But we right. also know that they want us to live while we're here exactly. and not stay in that deep grief right. pocket. So it's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about something fun now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about music because you okay. and I initially connected through music. We were both we did. songwriters, professional writers, um, both had how we pu met. publishing deals. That's right. I think, did we first, I'm thinking that we first met going to the yellow bird. I Is believe you're right. In Atlanta. Yeah. In Atlanta. We did a show down there. I'd heard about you for years through, because we had a lot of mutual friends and right. through people I was writing with, I was aware of you and I knew some of your music, but I think that's when we, that's when we met. 
That's right. Insane. Yeah. I'd heard so much about you and everyone would, was like, you will love Rob Harris. You will love Rob Harris. And I did. I loved him. So, uh, you know, you were far along in your journey, but like, how old were you when you first picked up a guitar and started like finding like, Oh, I, I think I like to play music. When did that happen for you? I was in the eighth grade. So what age is that? 13, 14? Um, Probably. I had been in school band. I think the first instrument I played was snare drum in the band. And then I moved on to uh, alto sax. So I was in the marching band in my middle school. And I'd expressed an interest in guitar. And my dad played guitar. And he had an old Gibson that I have hanging on my wall here in our house. Really? Um, And he taught me my first few chords on that Gibson. And that guitar, I've checked into it. It's not worth a lot of money. But I wouldn't take a million bucks for it because it was my dad's. And he taught me on that guitar. So he taught me my first chords. And I remember being so frustrated, like trying to get my finger in those shapes and getting them to stretch over the fretboard. (laughs) And I was saying, Dad, my fingers are too short. I'm not made for this. And I was so angry. He said, just keep keep with it because you're asking your fingers and your hands to do things they've never done before. And eighth grade fingers at that. So but he taught me my first few chords. And then I started taking guitar lessons locally at a community college from uh, a man named Bill Dixon. So I went once a week for, I think, six weeks after that and built on what my dad had taught me and taking lessons at the community college. Um, And that's kind of where it it started. And I listened to a lot of rock and roll records at the time. I was a big Kiss fan and listened to a lot of heavy metal and I still love that stuff, but my musical preferences have changed a lot over the years. But uh, I would go home and sit in my bedroom and listen to Kiss records and try to play what I was hearing and just kind of grew from there. And then when I got to college, my musical taste really started gravitating towards artists like John Denver and James Taylor and Mm. Dan Fogelberg. Mm, And I started listening to just a lot of acoustic artists because when I learned, I first started learning, it was with an old electric guitar and I would haul this uh, electric guitar and amp into the guitar lessons. And uh, in college though, I switched to acoustic and developed a real love for that style of music and singer songwriters. And that's, it's kind of where it started. Is that when you started writing songs? I think I wrote my first song in high school and predictably it was probably about a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't even remember the song, but um, I started in high school and I've just, done it as a hobby over the years and then uh, started doing it more competitively, if that's the right word, in in the years after I got married and we moved to Nashville. Right. So you grew up uh, in West Virginia. I did. I grew up in Southern West Virginia, a little area called Chatteroy, and it's a little four mile stretch of road tucked in those beautiful West Virginia hills. And where I come from, we call that a holler. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in, in Chatteroy Holler. It's in Mingo County, West Virginia, that's situated right on the West Virginia-Kentucky border. And grew up in Chatteroy, Williamson area. Then I went to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. If anyone's ever seen the movie We Are Marshall, yeah. it's all about the, the tragic uh, plane crash that claimed the lives of the football team back in the 70s. So right. went to Marshall, um, then went to Bible College after that. And jumped into life. Was music what brought you to Nashville? In a way, I guess in a manner of speaking, ministry is what brought us to the Nashville area, but it was a music ministry, a worship ministry. I was a 
worship pastor at a church in the Franklin, Tennessee area for just shy of 10 years. And so that's what brought us to the area. It wasn't like, I want to go to Nashville and chase this dream of songwriting and, you know, trying to be an artist. That wasn't it, but it, okay. it was music related, but it was more ministry. Okay. So you came because you had a job as a music minister at a church at that Correct. Franklin church. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. I was yep. thinking that you had come before and then that just came. So see what yeah. I'm learning about you today. I, <laughs> I thought about that over the years because I was somebody who as a kid, I mean, I always listened to the radio. I loved music. I couldn't wait when a new song came out that I loved to go to uh, the store and, and and plow through the singles and the albums and find one and buy it and take it home and put it on my turntable. And I read all the liner notes and I've loved music for as, as long as I can remember. Um, and my, my first job actually in Williamson, West Virginia was a radio DJ where I got to play music. Um, and then when I went to college and I was at Marshall, I continued playing music. Um, I would play coffee houses back even before coffee houses were cool and a thing. Yeah. Um, but I played coffee houses and on campus and uh, I've just, I've loved music um, for as long as I can remember it. it. It's all I've ever really wanted to do. So did you have designs on being like John Denver? I mean, did you want to <laughs> go into and be a professional like secular? Cause I mean, I did at one point when I was younger, I was yeah. like, Ooh, I want to be faith Hill or whatever. I sure. I would be lying if I said I'd, I never thought about that. I did think about that. I just lacked the confidence and I thought I didn't, my skill level probably wasn't up to that level where I could record and play music where people would want to come and pay to hear you play. I just wasn't sure that I was, uh, I was that good. So I never really chased that very far, but I, I did dream of that at one point. I sure did. When did you feel the call to go into ministry? I was at Marshall University. And I had become a Christian when I was in high school. And uh, the way I, I would describe it, I don't know if this will make sense, but in high school, I made a decision to follow the Lord, but I didn't make a commitment. Um, I kind of went back to some of my old habits and unhealthy things. And when I got to college, it got worse. And uh, after I sort of reached a series of dead ends uh, with my life in college, Personally, I thought that, you know, I know now it was the Holy Spirit just in the back of my mind whispering, this is not, you know, this is not where you need to go. You need to recommit and get, get back on track. So I, I recommitted and I probably committed for the first time in my life to Jesus when I was later in my college years. And um, the more I grew to learn about him and love him and try to serve him, the more I had this nudge that I, I wanted to serve him full time and I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. And uh, I checked into a Bible college that was about 30 minutes away from Marshall. It's called Kentucky Christian College at the time. Now it's Kentucky Christian University, about 500 students. And I graduated from Marshall and then went down to the, the Bible college to study and prepare for a couple of years. And because I loved music so much, it just seemed like a natural fit to combine the work of ministry with my love of music. And that's, that's how I wound up getting steered towards worship ministry. So I had a guitar and at Bible college, I didn't even know worship leading was a thing. I didn't even know there was a position oh, really? at yeah. churches for that. And occasionally, you know, 
people who had weekend ministries or something that say, hey, why don't you come lead some songs for our youth group this weekend? Or, hey, a bunch of us are going out to the lake tonight. Why don't you bring your guitar and sing? So these little opportunities just started presenting themselves and just kept going through the open doors. And mm. uh, then I worked at the college for about eight years. I served on staff there in a variety of of capacities, but my favorite position there at the very end, my last job was campus minister. And it was like being youth minister to a, a bunch of college age students. And oh. I loved that. Uh, but I really did desire to work at a local church and that never really left me. So I accepted the call to be a worship pastor at a church in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, and did that for four years. Um, then after that ministry ended, uh, we moved to Nashville and took a worship position at a different church here. And, and we can talk about those chapters to whatever extent you want. It doesn't matter. Well, I know that um, when you, when you left that um, it affected you and your family uh, in a, in a really difficult way. Um, how did that it's, it's interesting. Cause I'll, I'll just say, it seems like lately, I see a lot of people in ministry, pastors, music ministers that, that are going through um, kind of public fallings. Uh, they're either, um, I mean, it does seem like I hear like a higher rate of suicide and then there's moral failings and just, just ministry right. burnout. Um, and even some people that I'm hearing that have been in the faith, public faith leaders that are saying they're not even calling themselves Christians anymore. They're leaving the faith completely. Um, as someone who has been in ministry and not in ministry now, I mean, I, I feel like you have a pretty interesting perspective on that. What, what, what do you attribute all that to? Um, boy, that's a great question. I'm not sure I have a great answer for it. Um, ministry can be extremely rewarding and fulfilling and satisfying but it can also be incredibly isolating and lonely at times. And there's a, there's a lot of pressure, whether it's self-induced or otherwise for people who serve in ministry, there's a, uh, a lot of expectations, whether they put that on themselves or it's forced on them by, you know, externals, but there's a lot of pressure. And I think if somebody doesn't handle that pressure appropriately, um, it can bear down on them to the point where it shows up in those ways, or in some cases, maybe they're disappointed or they're hurt in ministry. And they think, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure I want to be a part of this faith anymore. Um, and, and just let me clarify, I think one appropriate way to handle some of those pressures is to get some counseling or some therapy mm -hmm. as a, as a caregiver, as a pastor, you're, you're involved in, uh, trying to meet the needs of a lot of people. And if you're not taking care of yourself along the way, that can be a recipe for trouble and disaster. So I really recommend, uh, I've known pastors who don't want to do that because it'll show up on my insurance and people will think I'm, I, I can't handle all this. Well, guess what? You can't handle it all by yourself. Right. <laughs> and if right. you try, it's, um, I think maybe that's it. Maybe they, they try to handle it and shoulder it all on their own. And eventually it can just they can crack. So they need, they need help. Right. Which is something that uh, we'll just transition right now into what your, what your new job is. Okay. So uh, you, I, cause I'm so excited 
because I think God has been prepping you for this, like your whole life. I mean, obviously (laughs) you need to be doing music too. And we'll get back to that in a minute about what's in store with that with you, but your new job is, uh, well, just tell us, tell us about your, your brand new job. Yeah. Uh, I am, uh, well, let me say this for the last 10 years and three months, I worked at Costco in Brentwood, Tennessee. After the last church ministry ended, um, I went into the retail world. I, I was hurt and disillusioned by all the stuff you just talked about. And so uh, stepped, stepped into the, the retail world. And I loved working at Costco. I met some amazing people, great co-workers who are great friends of mine still. Um, to be honest, I kind of went in kicking and screaming when I went into the retail world because I had been involved in ministry at that point for you know, over 20 years. And, um, but that was just me. I was just disappointed and hurt. And I used to work at a church and I used to do this and I used to be involved in stuff that, you know, had eternal significance. And now I'm <laughs> selling TVs at Costco. And it was, it was, it was just a pity party. I'll just admit that. And it, hey, it was we, all, yeah. it was all me. Um, the longer I was at Costco, it was interesting. The more, I think God gave me a little bit of a ministry there with some coworkers and friends and, um, I never hid the fact that I was a Christian, but I didn't always lead with the fact that I was a recovering pastor, (laughs) (laughs) recovering pastor. I love that. So, but eventually, you know, I don't know, I guess people found out and I got outed as a pastor and um, was able to do a wedding for a couple of coworkers who were engaged and I was privileged to do their wedding. And so um, I had a ministry just like we all have ministries as Christians, no matter what our job is. We have a ministry to the people around us. Um, So I had lost sight of that in the beginning of my days at Costco. And then it took me a while to realize that you still have a ministry because you're a Christ follower. And that just accompanies a life of following Jesus. You just get to minister to people around you, hopefully. So, uh, but anyway, um, I left Costco about a month ago. And I am now uh, working with a nonprofit called Standing Stone Ministry. And their entire purpose is to provide pastoral care to people who serve in ministry. So um, that's what and I'm it's, doing now. And it's absolutely free, right? It's any, free. We, any pastor, and when you yep. say pastor, yep. what, what what is a pastor? Sure. In our context, we use the term pastor to refer to anyone who is serving in ministry. So it could be the lead pastor. It could be the youth pastor, the worship pastor, executive pastor, a missionary, any any of those and, and beyond that, if you serve in ministry, uh, Standing Stone is willing to help you because there are unique pressures that accompany a life in ministry. And most of us who work with Standing Stone now have experienced those firsthand. And maybe it gives us a little, a little um, special sensitivity to it because we've walked through some of those things. Um, you know, pastors deal with the same stuff that everybody deals with. They, right. they go through a job loss, which I know a thing or two about, which maybe we can touch on. Uh, they go through anxiety, uh, experience depression. They have struggles in their marriage. They have financial troubles. Uh, like you said, uh, suicides and attempted suicides are increasing at an alarming rate among people who serve in ministry. Um, the pandemic wasn't kind to any of us, but it was also it was really hard on people who serve in ministry because mm-hmm. that whole that whole 
the church experience changed during the pandemic. So, right. But anyway, when a pastor is going through something like that or some personal struggle, or maybe they have an addiction that nobody knows about, mm. um, that they're quietly struggling with for years, who do they talk to? You know, they, I think the fear is in the back of their mind, if I'm honest about my struggles and I talk about this openly, I could lose my job because pastors aren't supposed to struggle, you know, right. uh, which isn't true at all. But you, you kind of think that and other people think that. Um, so that's where Standing Stone tries to help. Uh, if if uh, a pastor is going through a challenging season, um, we walk alongside with them to try to help them get healthy so they can spiritually healthy so they can continue leading for years to come. We, we hope from a place of health instead of a place of dysfunction. Oh, that I, as someone who personally has, has experienced the breakdown of two pastors that were, I was at two different churches and, um, two incredibly gifted communicators on the stage brought so many people to the Lord. Um, I know their heart was in the right place in the ministry. And I saw both of their ministries crumble after a lot, uh, after several years and the hurt that that brought on not only to them as humans, to their families, to the congregations that were left behind going, but wait, you said, you know, and now you're like, it is a, it is a horrifying thing to go through for everyone involved. And, but now I was starting to see, oh, it's going to happen again and again and again, if these pastors don't have someone to hold them accountable, to walk beside them and uh, give them counseling in a safe environment. Cause like you said, I have a, I have a particular good friend who was a pastor. He started having a crisis of faith and it's like, how do I, who do I tell that? I'm not sure the Bible is inerrant anymore. Like who can I talk to about that? Because I will lose my job if I utter that. Right. Right. Or like you said, how how do I tell people that my marriage is falling apart, that my wife and I've been sleeping in separate bedrooms for a year and putting on a face because we know that I'll lose my job. If I can't imagine those kind of pressures. Um, And so the fact that there is a nonprofit standing stone is a nonprofit. Correct. Correct. That, that is serving the people that are spending their lives serving others is so amazing. I love it. And it's not just men, right? Women. No, not at all. We have, uh, let me tell you what my role is. So, uh, and a little bit about standing stone. It started around 2002 by Jim and Debbie Hogan. Jim was on staff at a church and, uh, and saw the senior pastor experience a moral failure. And he was good friends with this pastor. And he went to him and said, brother, what, you know, what, what happened? And he said, I just didn't feel like I had anybody I could talk to. Mm. And a few years later, same thing happened at another church where Jim was on staff. A pastor had a, a failing, uh, also didn't feel like he had any place to go. So Jim and Debbie said, you know what, we've got to, we've got to do something for people who are serving. So they started having retreats for ministers and their wives and just a a place to come and kind of get refreshed and renewed. 
And they started hearing from the pastors and their, their wives attending the retreats that, man, this is great, but I could use this on an ongoing basis instead of just an every now and then retreat. So then they started this other branch of the ministry uh, that involves field shepherds. And that's what they call us. We're in the field. Uh, we do one-on-ones with pastors uh, as, the, as needed. And we have both men on staff at Standing Stone and women on staff at Standing Stone. And men uh, provide care to men serving in ministry and the women on staff provide care to women serving in ministry. And it is absolutely free. We, they are never charged. Pastors are never sent a bill. They're not charged a nickel. Um, each of us who works with Standing Stone raises our own support, just like a missionary. So we raise our own funds. That way, uh, the pastor and his wife and their family are never charged for anything. So the care is absolutely free. That is, I mean, that is such a needed uh, ministry. That's a ministry. I yeah, think so it, too. Absolutely. I think so. And I'm, I, again, I think you just knowing you and how you love people, like you have such a genuine love of people and you have such a sweet and compassionate spirit. You. You're just going to be a huge blessing to so many. And I'm, I'm so excited. Um, well, I appreciate that. Um, because I, I know your past and we haven't gotten into it a lot, but yeah. What would you say to someone uh, who might be listening today that is out there considering going into ministry right now? Like, is there one piece of advice that you wish you knew before going into full-time ministry? Probably, probably (laughs) a bunch. One thing I would say, I think, is if there's anything else you can see yourself doing, do it. Don't do ministry. Well, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I I can see how it probably sounded that way. I mean, if you go into ministry, it has to be, uh, or it should be maybe ripping off the rearview mirror and not looking back. If there's something in your life, you plow into ministry and you go, man, but I really want to do this. I should have done this, or I should have pursued being this or that. You know, if there's anything else you can see yourself doing, maybe do it because it requires wholeheartedness. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's what I mean. If there's anything else, it, it should be, man, I, I can't see myself doing anything else. And there's also the, you know, the other component in this equation, that's the a call from God, which is another discussion. But if you sense that um, and there's nothing else you can see yourself doing, then absolutely. But it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. That's why if you can see yourself doing something else, you maybe you should, because uh, to, to do ministry for years and years and years, it's going to take a toll. It's going to be hard, but it's also going to be unbelievably rewarding too. Um, that is interesting that you say that because, um, a well-known country singer that shall remain nameless for now was asked, uh, someone asked him very successful country singer asked him, what advice would you give to someone entering the music business? And he said the exact same thing about the music business. He said, if you can see yourself doing anything else, do that. You can play music. You can enjoy music as a hobby. You can, you don't have to not have music in your life, but the music business is hard and it takes that you get up every day and you look in the mirror and you go, I can't see myself doing anything else. I love it that much. I feel that needy Bennett that you just, because he said, there's days 
where you just go, this is too hard. I'm going to go right. be an accountant. Right. <laughs> and I'll Which just I'm play. sure is also hard. I'm it's sure hard. It, you know, I guess we're all <clears throat> created, you know, and I, I right. truly believe that God creates each one of us with certain uh, gifts, not just one gift, but just uh, the way we're right. built. Uh, some people have thicker skin. They can handle music business and ministry. I mean, you have both of right. those. You kind of have to, I think, like you say, feel a calling to be there because right. there are some days where you're just like, I don't, this is not worth it. Yeah. And I've had some of those uh, real <laughs> quickly uh, in ministry. I mean, uh, and in music, but mostly uh, in the ministry area. Um, it, just real quick about something I think God is using to prepare me for this next step is um, the first church I served was in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. I was there four years, mm. new senior pastor came on board uh, and fired me. <laughs> oh. I hadn't done anything wrong, but he wanted his own staff. Uh, he was kind of an insecure leader. Uh, you know, sometimes a new coach comes in, they want their own team, their own yep. coaching staff. I get it. Yeah. Um, so, and that hurt because I hadn't done anything wrong. And but we had this hurt inflicted upon us. And then we moved. Um, I started talking to a church in Franklin. We came to Franklin, Tennessee for a, uh, to work at another church in the same role as worship pastor. I told them all about what happened at the other church. And they said, we're so sorry. The leadership said, we're so sorry. Uh, we need you to know that we don't treat people like that here. That will not happen to you here. And that sounded so good. That just fell like water on dry ground to me at oh, the time. Yeah. And so we plow into this ministry and uh, they're almost 10 years. And I get called to a surprise meeting with the senior pastor, which was odd in itself. He wouldn't tell me what it was about. And I uh, show up at the meeting Monday morning, 8 a.m. It's him and two elders. And I wasn't told there were going to be any other people at the meeting. And so as soon as I opened the door, I thought this probably isn't going to be a fun day. Mm. and that day they said, Hey, we're making some changes and, uh, we've decided we're going to let you go. Oh. And I was, I was floored. I mean, uh, had there been some conflict along the way? Sure. Because that's part of interacting with people and working closely with people, but it's, but you work through that, you know, it was any kind of conflicts that may have existed on the staff never rose to that level. In right. My mind. So, right. So they, you know, they let me go. And that one, at this point, our girls were older. They didn't remember the other one because they were itty bitty. Um, but it inflicted a very profound, deep spiritual wound on my entire family. And, you know, you get fired from one church, you tell yourself, well, that happens occasionally. You get fired from two churches, the only two churches you've ever served, you get fired from at some point. I had to step back and go, maybe it's me. Mm. Maybe, maybe I wasn't supposed to be doing this. And I was, Lord, did I miss you in all this? Was I even supposed to be doing ministry? Oh, wow. And I went through, um, man, some deep depression that I still deal with occasionally. Our entire family has been in, impacted by depression. Went through a lot of self-doubt and questioning my purpose. Um, if I was even supposed to be doing that. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, that amazed us. Um, that last church in Franklin, Tennessee was about, I don't know, 900, maybe a thousand people when, when they let me go. And out of those, that, that, let's just say that thousand people to use a rough number, Laura and I could count on both hands, the number of people 
who reached out to us and hung in there with us. And it's, you find out who your friends are when you go through something like that, whether it's church related or not. You just, it, the, the, the people who uh, really love you and are your genuine friends, they rise to the occasion. And it's, it's kind of shocking to think, man, I, I thought we knew more people than that, that we were genuinely friends with more people than that. But it's, it's amazing who disappears when you go through something like that. And yeah. that was very telling to us. We thought, well, then were we really a part of a genuine, authentic community? Was it all just fake on, on their parts? But anyway, but the, the go so ahead. You, you're, you lost your job. You lost mm-hmm. your church. You lost mm-hmm. friendship circles. Yep. I mean, it was, that's what I keep hearing repeatedly from people that were in ministry and then either chose to leave. Mm-hmm. or got fired either way. Right. It's like, oh, you're choosing, even if you chose to leave a lot of times, they say they chose to leave and then they just don't hear from the people in the church again. Um, and, and I guess some of it's not always their fault because people don't know what to say. When a pastor leaves, like in my particular case, there was a lot of false statements going around about me. And, and Laura and I talked about that and rumors started swirling. We expected that because the enemy is going to do that. Right. Um, so people bump into you in the grocery store and they don't, they don't know what to say. So it's not all of them. It's all their fault, but they, I got a lot of um, uh, somebody bump into me and they go, Oh, there's Rob, mm. poor Rob. Poor Rob. What, mm, how you doing? You know, and it was, <laughs> I don't know. They just, or they turn around. I would see people, in the grocery aisle, spot me, boop, turn around, go the other way and just avoid uh, you all together. And you felt like a leper, but. Um, I ran into a, a friend who had recently gone through a divorce and she said, you know what she was, we were talking about God and my girlfriend's ministries. And she said, you know what I wish you would do at some point? She said, I wish you would do a, a retreat, a weekend retreat on how to be a friend to a friend in crisis, because Mm. she said, when I was going through my divorce, I felt so abandoned by everyone around me. She said, all of our couple friends, it was like, she was like, it almost felt like they were afraid to call me because they thought even the, the wives like, oh, because their marriage fell apart. It, it might be contagious. <laughs> like it might, it's, it's what she said. She felt like they, like they all wanted to stay away because, oh, we don't want that to affect our marriage or, or they just didn't know what to say or what, or they just were fair weather friends or whatever. But the truth was, is that she did find out a lot of them just kind of went silent because they didn't know what to do. And they were, they felt so awkward that they didn't contact her at all. And that is a need for us to learn. How do we support our friends? Well, when they're going through crisis, like, what do you say? Because sometimes you'll say things and you're like, Oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that, you know? And, um, well, I, I may, I may have this wrong. I hope I'm not misquoting, but I, I think it was brother Lawrence who wrote a book called the power of presence. Mm. Sometimes it's just enough to be there. Yes. You don't have to say anything just to show up. Um, I, I spoke at my dad's funeral 28 years ago and 10 minutes before it started, two friends walked in who had driven probably six or seven hours, two guys um, 
walked in. I didn't even get to really talk to them. They sat down, but I saw them across the room. And that gave me so much strength, just knowing that someone loved me enough to rearrange their schedule to come and support me in a moment of need. And then when it was over, they kind of waved and they left and drove another six or seven hours back home. Never said a word, but boy, that helped. And sometimes just being there and sitting with someone is enough, you know? Yeah, that that makes me cry to think about that. It's like, oh, I've never, you don't forget things like you that. You don't when, forget. When, That's when right. people love you that way, you just, at least I, that stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. A- absolutely. And I'll tell you this because uh, you know this person, one of them was Phil Miller. <gasps> I was going to say, I, I actually, I said, I think one of those was Phil Miller. I love yeah. Phil and Marsha Miller. That was, the- that was one of the ones that walked in and just, you know, loved us and supported us. And then, went right back home and we just like I said you just don't forget things like that We, we love them Hey, girlfriends, I'm interrupting our conversation for just a minute to tell you about something really important coming up God and My Girlfriends Ministries is getting ready for our annual Single Mama's Christmas Ministry Last year, we were able to raise enough money to bless a very deserving single mom in our Nashville area, and it was beyond heartwarming for me to know that we, as a community of women, used our resources to lift this young mama up and let her know that other women care about her and her young boy. I know it made her feel loved and cared for and special, and I want to do it again. So this year, we want to bless two single moms. And this is where we need your help. First off, we need you to let us know if you are aware of a deserving single mom that could use a Christmas blessing from us. If you have someone in mind, please email us at gamgministries at gmail.com or just go to our website and you can contact us there. Also, we need to start raising funds. So if you want to donate towards this very wonderful part of our ministry, you can do that by going to our website and hit the donate button. And then you can let us know that this money is to be designated for the Single Mamas Ministry. You'll be kept informed of how the money is being used and who will be blessed by your generous gift. I promise your heart will be warmed by donating to this ministry this year. So that's it. Help us find some deserving single moms and help us raise the funds. We really look forward to partnering with you this year on this. And now back to the conversation. Did you and Phil meet? Like y'all are long time friends, right? Yeah. yeah. Were you in college or? No, we didn't go to the same college, but we've been friends a long time just through, uh, I, I think we met through a, a, a summer youth camp I was a part of for a, a long time uh, called Summer in the Sun, Sun spelled S-O-N at Kentucky Christian College. And I was a worship leader at that for a few years. And he would bring youth groups and to that event. It was um, one of my favorite memories uh, of of stuff I've, I've done, especially when I worked at the college, but I think that's where we met and we've just been friends for a long time. And I have a few others too. I don't have a ton, but I have a few that I've known a long time that uh, I keep going back to. It's, it's funny with friendships and men. Um, I remember one time, I don't know, not too long ago talking to my therapist about 
I was worried. I said, you know, I go out with my girlfriends uh, often. Like, you know, we're all like, I'm going out to dinner with Kim and Britt or, you know, different groups of girls we get together. And I said, you know, I don't see my husband like going out with groups of guys. And I worry that about his friendships, <laughs> like I should be. And, 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 and the counselor said, you know what? He said, what do you want them to do? Like go out to bar? I mean, you know, when the, when men are younger and they hang out in groups, usually they're like looking for girls. <laughs> he said, normally he goes, it's actually really normal for men in happily committed relationships to only need just a few guy friends that they check in with, you know, they don't normally go hang out in, in groups the way girls do, you know? And I started thinking about it. He said, do you know other men that are go hanging out in groups? And, and I was like, well, I guess really not. And um, I don't know if you ever watched Saturday night live, but a couple of weeks ago, they had a skit called man park. I saw that. <laughs> Great. I, I've watched it like 10 times and I, I showed it to Mike and Todd Woolsey this we were like it's like that is so funny they were like Marvel 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 you guys haven't seen Man Park y'all need to watch it it's hilarious yeah that was great that was great how do you though nurture as a man like how do you how do you nurture your your friendships and and mm-hmm. it's friendships are important for men too they are for me um I guess the way I nurture, I just try to stay in touch with friends and I, I love occasionally doing stuff in a big group, you know, eight or 10 of us getting together and going to a movie or something. But personally, I prefer just one-on-one or, you know, us and another couple getting together. I love those kind of settings mm-hmm. I kind of in a big setting. I tend to, I don't know, I kind of freeze up a little, but I just love getting together with them, grabbing coffee, catching up, just staying in regular contact. But then there's friends I've got a handful of guy friends that I've known for years that I may go months without talking to them. But when I do talk to them, we pick up exactly where we left off. And it's like, we were never apart. I love and that. Those, aren't those great friendships to have? Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, like there was never, like you just spoke to them yesterday and it could have been a year that you talked to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a handful of those. And I mean, I, I really value those. I value all my friends, but I'm grateful for those friendships that, um, uh, that have endured and that uh, you pick up right where you left off. So I guess I just nurture them by just trying to stay in touch. Yeah. Stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah. What about Mike? What were you saying? Well, he was saying he loves getting together with like a couple, like, he, you know, he's not antisocial or anything, right. oh, but, not at all. No. Hey, you know, and he does love, I mean, like he loves when we go do our house concerts, let's talk on that for just a second. Okay. We, we, Mike and Rob and I go as a trio and then Laura comes when she can a lot and we do house concerts around the country and we have a little trailer and we have our PA and all our equipment and we will set up in your living room if you want us to. And we, we do a, a house concert, um, and you know, those are social events. Mike loves those, you know, but they're, but they're still sort of intimate situations, um, You've been doing house concerts longer than me. Why don't you tell everybody what a house concert is? If I could do house concerts every week, I would. I love doing, oh, I love doing house concerts. Yeah, me too. Um, And I especially love doing them with you and Mike. Um, A house concert is just uh, an opportunity to gather in someone's home. Usually a, you know, a big crowd for a house concert might be 20 or 30 people 
40 maybe at the most. Um, and, and like you said, we set up in somebody's living room or bonus room and we share original songs, uh, tell stories behind the songs, a lot like what someone might experience if they went to the Bluebird Cafe or other songwriter venues, but it's in someone's home. And it doesn't really cost anything on the part of the host. All we need is a, a house that would accommodate, you know, 30, 40 people. Uh, it helps if somebody really loves having people into their home and have kind of the gift of hospitality. Right. Sometimes it involves food. Sometimes it doesn't. Some people will have desserts or coffee and some people will invite people to bring a covered dish and some people don't do any kind of food. There's a lot of different options for that, but we just come and set up and uh, then we take donations and people know in advance that we're going to pass the hat and that's how we're going to be paid for our time. Mm -hmm. But the host, it, it doesn't cost them anything financially unless unless they choose to provide food on their own, which they don't have to do, but, but there's no financial cost to them. They just provide the place and gather some music loving friends. And then we show up and have an evening together. I love it. I do too. I was, I mean, you play a lot. You play around town, several restaurants, clubs, even yeah. the airport. You're up yeah. there for If y'all are flying into Nashville, look for Rob. <laughs> you might see me. You might see him. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say of all those things, like what is your favorite place to play? Is it house concerts? I would say yes, house concerts. And then locally, the Bluebird Cafe, because yeah. it's like a house concert. But It I, is. I love doing house concerts. Yeah, so me much, too. There's so much fun, at least for us. Um, and it's a, a just a good excuse to get people into your home and do something different. Most people who attend a house concert, and this has nothing to do with the three of us that do house concerts, but typically when somebody will host a house concert or somebody attends one for the first time, when it's over, they say, man, I, I want to do this again. This was fun. And again, nothing to do with the performers, just the experience of sitting in somebody's living room, hearing some live music making some new friends. It's just a fun experience. And it I think is. most people who experience the first time want to do it again. Yeah. Or people will go, Hey, I, I want to have one now in my house. You know, someone right. came, they're like, or next time I'm going to invite these friends and yeah. they would love, love this, you know? So yeah, I they're always, concerts. I love it too. And I can't wait till we, hopefully we can get some going next spring. Cause I miss doing that with you. And yeah, been, same here. I was just realized we didn't do any in 2020. And we didn't do any this year. So it's been two years since we've done some. So I am really, we are due. We are due. And Let's are get ready. out there. So anyone that's listening, if you're interested in house concerts, I will put some links. I have a house concert page on my website and you probably do too, Rob. I do. So I we'll, we'll list Rob's uh, website and, and mine too. So you can learn more if you want us to come and invade your home. Yeah. Eat your cookies. <laughs> we will be there. Um, we will do it. So as far as music, what's the next step for you and your music career? I know you're doing Standing Stone, but you're not walking I away am. from music. You were no, not allowed I'm... to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm still doing music and I'll probably be doing a little more now that um, I don't really have the confines of a, you know, a schedule at Retail World. I, it's, a, it's a little more flexible now, cool. um, but I'll still be playing around uh, here locally and out of town when I can. But I'm actually in the middle of recording a new album project um, that your husband, Mike Waldron, is producing for me. And uh, it's been a slow process, not through anything. Uh, it's not intentional. It's just life has happened in the middle of it. We started, Mike and I got started on early this year, and then my father-in-law got very sick, and then we cared for him. And then it's just kind of been one thing after the other. Mm -hmm. we, we've got about half the songs mostly done. And uh 
maybe later this year and early next year, we'll get it finished up and have something new with a new batch of songs next year. I know. And you're and going to sing on it, Marcia. I'm excited. I, I hope. But, but uh, of course, <laughs> and, and as the producer's wife, I've already, you know, I hear him working on the stuff. They're, the songs are fantastic. Your singing is fantastic. It's going to be amazing project. So all of you guys, I think you did a Kickstarter to get that going. And anyone that's donated, y'all are going to be really glad that you did. Your money was well spent. It's going to be a very cool, very, very cool um, project. And I can't believe that uh, we are running out of time. So, um, but I do want to talk too much. You you have not, it's hard. These, these interviews go by so quickly and especially with my friends, because, you know, we could talk forever, but um, I do want to, normally I, I ask three questions to the, everyone at the very end to kind of end the conversation, but we've sort of covered some of those, but I would like to know just to end on a spiritual aspect, um, because I know that after you left, uh, after you were fired from that last church, I know that you have struggled to really settle into a new church, you and your wife. And I'm probably a lot of it is just, I, I mean, I've, I went through several years without a church myself. It's really hard. Sometimes you don't it trust, is. don't trust the religious right. aspect, the church business of it all becomes very intermingled in your faith, but you guys have not lost your faith. I mean, I have seen it affect some people's faith and they just walk away and they're like, okay, this was all just baloney. I've been listening to a podcast called the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which documents the the rise of that huge church in Seattle and then the crumbling of it. And last week's episode was particularly heartbreaking. I mean, if you, Mm. if your faith is not intact and you listen to that, I mean, I told a friend, I said, gosh, that would make me never want to step foot in a church again. Um, it, there's a, it's, there's some hard stuff in there. However, after all you've been through, I mean, you and Laura are some of the most deeply God loving, Jesus loving faith filled people I know, and you've kept that intact. So I'm just curious, like, what is, what are, what are your main spiritual practices right now? Or what's one that is really meaning that keeps you connected to God, our creator right now? My main one is prayer right Mm. now. Um, We went through a lot of what you just described. We we were hurt by the experiences we had. Um, My, our three daughters who were all grown now in particular kind of, when it, when it happened and they were so hurt and so disappointed, you know, that a couple of them said, you know, if this is how church leaders are going to treat people, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah. They were so hurt by uh, people they trusted. And look, church is made up of people and people are fallen. We all are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those, uh, those experiences for us were at the hands of, you know, church leaders who are imperfect, but, um, uh, neither situation was handled spiritually correctly so that it hurt us. And we did struggle to find another church. We're still kind of working on that, to be honest, uh, after the pandemic. But I guess I, I've questioned my purpose for a while, but mm-hmm. we, I can't say that we lost our faith because our faith wasn't in the church. Um, our, our faith, we try to keep our faith rooted in Jesus. Um, mm, yeah. He's the only thing that's not going to change and disappoint like that. Um, so not easy at all, but um, 
and I leaned on my wife and I think she leaned on me through that whole process. And uh, yeah, it, it did a number on us and we're still, you know, I, I think we're on the other side of it now. It's been 11 years, but uh, there's still a, there's a scar and, mm-hmm. and that's okay because the scar reminds us that there was once a wound and now it's healing. And that's mm-hmm. what the scar, you can remember that, that the Lord is accomplishing healing when you see a scar. Um, so it's not a bad thing to have those, but uh, no fun to get them though. Yeah. But prayer is, is probably right now my, the one that my favorite spiritual practice. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I talk to the Lord in the car. Uh, in the out shower, loud. Out loud. Out loud. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Where, wherever. Just, uh, just try to maintain a dialogue throughout the day. Sometimes it's just a sentence or two, but you know, there's a book, one of my favorite books, uh, written by Diane Moody. It's called confessions of a prayer slacker. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great little book and it, it changed my prayer life. Um, just talking about different ways to approach prayer. You know, I, and, and, you know, how you don't have to, it doesn't have to be done any certain specific way. You know, right. there's all ways to have conversations with God. And, and also there's times to just shut up and listen in prayer too. Absolutely. <laughs> I never knew that, you know, <laughs> uh, oh, that's what meditation is. Okay. We got this. <laughs> it means just give time, give God time to talk back and not right. just like, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's great. I love that. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, necessarily go through, um, live, stay in one church all their lives and not get right. some wounds from it. I mean, uh, religion, right. it can be messy, um, yep. but there's a great Richard Rohr quote that I love that said, religion, uh, is the fingers that point us to the moon, but it's not the moon itself. And, uh, and I love that because it's like, yeah, you know, religion can be a beautiful thing to help point us towards God, but it's not God, you know? Right. And so sometimes we have to separate the two at times, especially if we've been hurt by religious circles or religion. And, um, hopefully you can find your way back. And, you know, God can redeem those, those hurts. Yes. Um, and that's one of the last things I'd like to share with you and, and anyone listening today. And I want to read it so I don't misquote it. Yes. But second Corinthians one, four and five says that the Lord comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So I'm hoping that the hurt I experienced at the hands of a couple of churches will now come into play as I sit with pastors who are going through tough times and maybe some of them have been fired either justly or unjustly. But I, I understand that because I've been through it. And I think that's what that scripture is talking about. No matter what, if it's the loss of a child or a divorce or the loss of a job, if you've been through something that was a profound hurt, God can redeem that by maybe one day using you to help someone who's going through the exact same thing, because there's, there's just power in sitting with someone that, you know, they've walked this path and they understand. And that, that alone helps. And I think if nothing else good happens out of those terrible things that happen to us along life's way, um, that's one thing that God can use to redeem it by using us to help others who are going through the same thing. 
So that is beautiful. And so true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to have, if someone's going to give me some advice on how to go through a situation, knowing that they've been in that situation before their advice, it weighs heavier for me. Right. Right. It carries more weight. Absolutely. And so, um, for someone who wasn't divorced to tell me what I needed to do to get through my divorce versus someone who had been through a painful divorce, not exactly, like you said, not, not everyone's journeys are exactly the same, but they get it. They get it more, you know, and it helps to go. And when they say, you know what, this is what I did to get through that, that weighs heavier for me. Absolutely. So I know, and, and when they say God doesn't waste any tears, he doesn't waste any hearts. I think that's kind of what that means. At least it does to me is that all of the pain and hurt that we go through can be redeemed by God and he's going to heal us. God's going to heal us. And then he's going to help us use that hurt to help other people. So I, I know that you are going to be such a blessing to all these pastors that are counseled by you and loved on by you. I'm so proud of you, Rob. So proud of you. And I'm so proud to be your friend. Same here. Lauren, I love you and Mike so much. Same here. Big love fest. And we're going to see each other very soon. We need to get together. That's what. And we'd like to see some of the folks listening at a house concert. Yes. House concerts. We're going to put links to our house concerts. We're going to put links to Standing Stone. If anyone out there is listening to, to this and thinks, I want to support a nonprofit like this or support Rob personally in his journey, there's going to be links for you to do that as well. Um, right. and or if they also know of a pastor that's hurting or they know someone yes. that, you know, could use, a, you used the word safe earlier in our conversation and, and that's key for Standing Stone. It's safe. It's confidential. My wife won't even know the pastors I'm meeting with. It's, it's that confidential. So if anyone knows someone working in ministry that they think could use a safe, confidential friend from Standing Stone reach out to us and we'll, we'll be in touch with them. We'd, we would be a privilege to, to serve them in that way. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Rob Harris. It is my pleasure. Thank you for the honor of being involved in this wonderful podcast. I've Thanks. enjoyed it so much. Oh, I'm so glad I've loved having you here and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Have a good day. I'm waving. You Bye. <laughs> well, that was fun. I, I love sharing some of my real life friends with you guys here on the podcast. I, I know you fell in love with Rob too, just like we love him. He's a wonderful guy. And I hope uh, some of you will reach out to either Rob or me about hosting a house concert in 2022. We're not kidding. We, they are so cool. And uh, you can check out in the show notes, I did put links to Rob's house concert page and my house concert page so you can learn a little bit more. So reach out if you have any questions about that. And also, I want to say one more thing about Standing Stone. Rob is one of nearly 200 field shepherds. That's what they call them, field shepherds. And they're all over the country. And they do these one-on-ones with with ministry folks. Collectively, right now, they're currently serving 3,000 pastors worldwide. And those 3,000 pastors are currently ministering to a little over a million folks in their respective congregations. So you can see that by helping keep these pastors healthy, it has this beautiful trickle-down effect 
churches are, they're getting a bad rap these days, and I get it. But hopefully, if we can help keep these pastors on track, it will keep churches from falling apart. So honestly, if you know a pastor personally, even if you think he or she doesn't need Standing Stone, you think they're doing great. Honestly, we don't know what people are going through. So I would encourage you to make sure that he or she knows about this ministry because you just never know who might be on the verge of of falling apart, especially pastors who carry so much on their shoulders. All right, well, girlfriends, guy friends, whoever's listening, thank you for being with us for another season of this podcast. I'm going to take a much needed break over the holidays. But I do plan on bringing you season three starting in January of 2022. We already have some great guests lined up. It's going to be fantastic. But don't hesitate to reach out and let me know what topics you'd like us to discuss on here. And if you know of any guests that I should have on, let me know that too. In the meantime, while we're on a podcast break, our ministry is still going strong over the holidays. We are doing our annual Single Mama's Christmas Ministry, and we really would ask that you prayerfully consider donating to that because we helped one single mom last year, but we have two beautiful single moms that were sent our way this year, very deserving. So our goal is to raise $2,000 to each bless them with $1,000 this Christmas. I, I, want them to know that there are other women who care for them and are rooting them on. And, you know, I was blessed with a Christmas blessing one year when I was a single mom. And to this day, it it brings tears to my eyes when I think of the kindness those other women showed to me that they noticed me and they noticed that I was struggling. And it really felt like a Christmas miracle. So that's where my heart is. I just want to do that for some other single moms. You can donate on our website and make sure when you do that, you make a note that your money is for the Single Mama's Christmas Fund. I will have that link in the show notes as well. So thanks again to all of you. I love being part of this awesome community. I'll see you next year on season three of the God and My Girlfriends podcast. Until then, May you see the goodness of God all around you in all things, especially in your friendships. Stay safe and be well. Love y'all. 